Welcome to the Re-Envision PhD podcast. My name is Philip Hollingsworth. I received my PhD here at UNC in Romance Studies in 2015, and right now I'm at the Institute for the Arts and Humanities as the coordinator for faculty programs. And I'm Jonathan Foland. I am a graduate student assistant at University Career Services. I received my Master of Arts in Communication Studies from UNC Chapel Hill, and I'm currently working on a doctorate in communication. As someone who got their Ph.D. in 19th century Hispanic literature, a lot of people ask me, so what are you going to do with that? And this podcast is a way to provide possible answers for that through interviewing folks that have got their Ph.D. here at UNC and carving for themselves some fascinating, inspiring careers. And for me, after working with uh, other graduate students at Career Services or in my own department or just meeting other people in other departments, One of the best ways of figuring out what you're going to do with that degree is hearing how people have actually used their degrees. We can talk abstractly about what we're going to do in our future, but it always helps to hear how someone has taken certain steps or gone through trial and error and has learned ways to use their degree in different ways and can share some of that knowledge so that we start to have a better image of how we could also follow our own paths. So for our first episode, we have a great example of that. We have Allison Portnow-Lathrop, who is currently the public programs manager at the Ackland Art Museum here at Chapel Hill. And she received her Ph.D. in musicology, uh, and she did her dissertation on uh, the intersections of Einstein's theory of relativity and music. In our conversation with Allison, we talked a little bit about how she first got involved with the museum and how that initial involvement eventually went from an internship position to a full-time position. We also had some conversations about the skills that she had developed in graduate school and how she translated those skills into her current position, as well as how she's continued to build those skills through new experiences. And as you listen to Allison talk about her work, what you may also hear is her excitement with the position because she continues to grow and challenge in the job. So I guess we can start by um, you just telling us a little bit about yourself. Okay. So I'm Allison Portnell-Lathrop, and I'm currently employed at the Ackland Art Museum at UNC. And I started there while I was a graduate student at UNC in the musicology PhD program. So I've been at the Ackland now for seven years, um, including, I guess, three or so when I was still in school. And I do all sorts of things there. I plan all of our public programs from kids' programs, like hands-on art making, up through talks and tours for university audiences and general audiences, and also things like yoga in the galleries and music in the galleries, of course, a passion of mine, and um, our film series. So I keep myself pretty busy there. And so what brought you into musicology for a doctoral program? Oh, well, at undergrad, um, I went to McGill in Montreal, and I was studying music sort of in a performance kind of track, playing the double bass, and also decided to declare a double major in cultural studies because I had taken so many classes for fun (laughs) that it seemed like I had just about two or three more to complete a whole second major. But I fell in love with talking about how elements from pop culture play into this larger cultural dialogue. And since I was taking all of these music classes at the same time, I was always sort of trying to combine the two to think about how either classical music or jazz or pop music fit into this larger cultural dialogue and how music conveyed meaning throughout history. So 
it occurred to me that musicology could be a nice blend of the two, so I applied to grad school here at UNC and Duke. And luckily didn't get into Duke, so I ended up at UNC and was really happy to find the program. It was, I think, a really good fit for me. I really enjoyed it. And what was your dissertation on? Oh, it was on the relationship between Albert Einstein's theories of relativity and modernist music, American modernist music. Two things I would never put together. (laughs) Not many people have. (laughs) So could you talk a little bit more about that? Because it's intriguing, but I don't know what that means. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Well, I looked at how composers in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, just like Everyone else reading the newspaper got really fascinated by the theories of relativity because they were just hot news, front page of the New York Times, that kind of thing. Like, Einstein reshapes the nature of the universe. So at the same time as composers happened to be reading about this and happened to be, I guess, is debatable, they were coming up with their own sort of difficult-to-understand theories that were hard to explain in words and even more dis- difficult to listen to in music. So I think they latched on to Einstein's sort of public persona and the uh, reception of his theories in popular, very popular um, newspapers and books and things like that as a way to equate their theories and how to, to describe them a little bit better for the general public. So it sort of sounds like you brought humanities and a little bit of STEM together yes. in your dissertation. Yes. I always I thought I would study science my entire life, but then I fell in love with playing music. So I got to bring it all back together for my dissertation and see how they actually weren't so far apart in the first place and how you know, composers and musicians have always had this kind of strange overlap throughout the ages, I guess. Earlier you mentioned... During your graduate studies, you got involved with the Ackland Museum. Can you talk about how that happened? Sure. Well, the Ackland has a really great series of, or a program of graduate, paid graduate internships, which as fourth year finishing my TA ship um, appealed to me <laughs> when I was looking for extra funding to continue, you know, researching along in school. And I saw the Ackland had an open call for one of the graduate internships. And in my memory of this, like, mythic event, (laughs) I saw the call call for applicants, and in the call for applicants it said, must have previous museum experience. And I'd had one summer in between high school and college where I worked as an education intern in my hometown museum, the Heckscher Museum of Art in Huntington, New York. And so I thought, you know, why not give it a shot? I don't know anything about art history. I've still to this day never taken an art history class, but sure, I could apply. I have this museum experience. So I ended up getting an interview and getting the position after that and later went back to recall this application process um, when I did sort of an Altac panel in our for our musicology conference, and it turns out that was never there. There there was no like must have previous museum experience. Oh. It was just something that I guess I've built up in my mind. But it um, it helped me, you know, push push into that unfamiliar territory and remember that I had had that experience that was really great before, and and step my toes into the museum field. So as you were moving through your doctoral program, what had you considered your future career to be? 
Most musicologists become university professors. There isn't really much else that you hear about. And I, I, th- I don't know if it's – it's not really in a, a negative way. It's just a thing that – that's the only thing you hear about becoming. And I assumed that I would become a university professor at some point. And I, I wasn't actually against it. I loved TAing. I loved teaching on my own for summer school putting syllabuses together. That was some of the most fun parts for me for teaching. I know, the nerdy parts. Even liked grading. But as soon as I started my internship at the Ackland, I knew that that nine to five, which turns out is not exactly nine to five, um, sort of career and having discrete doable tasks that could get done in, you know, a day or a week or a month, which seems so different from the world of writing a dissertation at the time, of course. That seemed really appealing. And the work itself was super engaging, just always learning something new, especially since I had no art history background, always learning about different periods of art and, of course, tying them into everything that I'd learned about music and getting really excited about that. Can you talk a little bit more about the position you have now at the Ackland? Sure. Well, as the public programs manager, it's my job to research what upcoming exhibitions we have. Um, So I'm always learning a whole slate of new bits of art history and world history. So right now I'm thinking about contemporary Mexican art, something new to me, and uh, let's see, what else? Japanese and Chinese and Indian art for a pan-Asian exhibition we have coming up. So I'm always learning something new and taking what I've learned about the upcoming exhibitions and translating it into a whole slate of public programs. So all sorts of talks and tours, concerts, films, um, hands-on art making programs, those sorts of things, and making sure that our audiences have different ways to access the exhibition. So if they're diehard music lovers, of course they'll come to the concert series and then take some time to see the exhibition and and think about it through that lens. Or if they're film fans, they'll attend the Ackland Film Forum and be able to get into the exhibition that way if they know nothing about art, (laughs) but they're just there for a Friday, second Friday reception, that's great too, but it's it's sort of a way in the door, all of our different public programs. So it's a lot of thinking about what audiences uh, like myself who don't have that art history background can sort of latch onto and get engaged with the museum. And so how did you go from internship to full position? Of course, I just convinced them that I was entirely necessary to keep on the staff. I needed to keep the job because I needed to keep a job. It was a bit easier to convince them at that time since I could probably only work about half time finishing up my dissertation to say, well, couldn't we find another 20 hours a week here and there? I I sort of took on the music program right away um, entirely myself and then just gathered in other programs that I could manage on my own through through that first intern year and then made myself indispensable. And then over the next year or two, sort of pushed to add more duties as I could fit them in. And after I was done 
the school, it was even easier to advocate for myself to get a full-time job there. Do you have any advice for current graduate students about seeking the opportunities like you had to get these internships and then convert that into a full-time position? Yeah, I would definitely say internships, especially paid internships, are the the way to go, a great first step. I think most people come into graduate programs without a guarantee of funding for every year they want to be there, and some don't even know how long they want to be there or will need to be there. So to sort of widen the search at an opportunity when you're still sort of in a, a safe place to have those opportunities. You know, you're still writing, you still have the bubble of school around you, (laughs) and to seek out internships that might help pay the bills, but also open your eyes and expose you to new opportunities around, I don't know, say the nonprofit world or the rest of the campus, things like that, local businesses, anything like that that could get you into thinking about building other skills that you might not have built during seminars or in writing, um, but also thinking about how those skills and the ones you already have from graduate school can sort of translate into a future profession. So how did you translate your skills? Ooh, Well, I was able to use a lot of what I learned extracurricularly or co-curricularly during grad school to get the internship that I had. So When I was a student, I was on the speaker series planning committee. And, of course, that involves, you know, the intellectual work of finding the right speakers, but also the logistical work of making sure the classroom's reserved, the chairs are set up, the reception's set up afterwards, everyone has transportation to and from the airport, all of the things that eventually became things that I will, uh, I do use now when we have a visiting artist visiting the Ackland or a visiting historian coming for a talk or a panel discussion. So things that I learned there in graduate school that just seemed like easy resume builders at the time or things you would have to do to become a professor, I guess, were actually really practical things that I could translate into my work at the museum. It sounds like in this position you are are able to bring your graduate training in pretty frequently, which Mm -hmm. I think a lot of graduate students would be worried they wouldn't be able to do later. If they transition to another job, like, well, what's my degree going to do? Right. What about the content? Right. Right. So can you, like, speak a little bit more about how you've been able to apply it in more specific ways? Sure. Well, definitely the... Those sort of conference planning, lecture planning, concert planning, that I, things that I had done extra um, in grad school come into play every day at my, at my job, just day-to-day. I also have been really lucky to use a lot of the research skills that I had in grad school or honed in grad school, I guess you could say. So part of our training, especially in musicology, but probably for other Ph.D., fields uh, is being able to at one point become a generalist. So we, although most of our training was to become professors, no one expected that you would become a hotshot, you know, research one university professor tenure track where all you got to do was research your book topic and only teach in areas that you were most passionate about every single day of the year. They expected us to end up at any college we could get a job at, of course. And at those colleges, it was expected that you would be able to teach the history of Western music from the Big Bang to the present. And so we 
were really trained well to, if you first of all, to find the information you didn't know. <laughs> find it in the library, Google it if you have to, whatever you had to do to find the information that you weren't completely already um, inundated with. And to gloss over the things that you couldn't find. <laughs> so to be prepared to fake what you couldn't know and find out what you could know. Since I was walking into this job where I didn't know anything about heart history, and it's probably unfair of me now after seven years to say that I don't because I do, um, luckily, from working at an encyclopedic museum. But I was able to know exactly where to go or exactly who to ask if I didn't know what I needed to know for a particular exhibition coming up and how to possibly plan around some, you know, completely unknown, I've never heard it before, <laughs> art history-related term and period that I had to be ready to have a talk series for in three months. So that ability to research and be really well prepared and do that sort of archival thing um, comes into play all the time at my job, too. And it's really fulfilling, I think, because it's it's the nerdy part of grad school that I think got a lot of us involved in the first place. So I still get to do that all the time, and it's really great. How does your position continue to grow? Ooh. It, it has grown over the years to encompass all of the, the public programs. I started with just sort of the adult-facing ones and the university audience ones, because that's who I'd been teaching. So those were the audiences that I was familiar with. It grew to include kids' programs. And I think lately my position has grown to include, I think happily, a lot more of the intellectual researchy thing that we were just talking about. So um, the last couple exhibitions, in addition to doing public programs related to them and planning all of those, I've been able to sort of insert bits of I guess you could say curatorial content. Um, so we had an exhibition of French 18th century drawings, which is something that many of our visitors might not have encountered before. And we don't often have just drawing shows. They're usually, our exhibitions are, I guess, a little flashier, <laughs> typically. So something that I was able to contribute using my musicology background was a curated soundtrack to go with the exhibition. So at all times when you walked into the show, you could hear, you know, French court music from the same courts where these employed artists were working. You could hear music from played on the hurdy-gurdy, which was a crazy instrument that um, was, of course, depicted in these great 18th century drawings. And there are all sorts of mythological scenes. And so I was able to find, you know, operatic, French operatic scenes um, from the same time period depicting the same characters. So it added a lot to the show. It made it a bit more lively, able to get the drawings to sort of jump off the page, I, I think, in my personal opinion, having um, put it together. But it was awesome for me to be able to dig back into that music history side, even though, you know, French 18th century um, music wasn't a particular specialty of mine, but just to get back into that nerdy musicology mode and bring it to folks that might not have that specialty or that interest, but then became really interested in it and subsequently in the drawings was really great. Did this position exist before you? We had some programs at the museum before I got there, and the tasks of working on them 
were divvied up amongst different staff members. And then when I began, I was able to sort of consolidate that effort and um, take over a lot of the programs. And then we've actually grown our slate of offerings over the course of the time that I've been there. And I think it's not just because I've been there and I want to grow my job and I want to have more interesting things to do, but it's also a trend in the field in museums um, to offer more of these interactive dynamic programs so that visitors from a whole wide variety of backgrounds can get really engaged with the museum. More of a museum as a gathering place, social spot, than just the quiet halls of a library or something like that. I guess I got on board at the right time, (laughs) and that's been good. All right. Well, thank you very much. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. The Re-Envision PhD podcast is part of the Re-Envisioning Humanities PhD initiative here at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. This initiative is funded in part by a grant by the National Endowment for the Humanities. To stay up to date on all things related to Re-Envisioning Humanities PhD, follow us on Twitter at RevisionPhD. Please subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or SoundCloud. For more information on the Ackland Art Museum, you can always visit their website at ackland.org. Our theme music is by Dark Sun.